Today's Animal Spirits is brought to you by our friends at Y Charts. Michael, we've been playing around with a new feature on Y Charts lately. They now have a scatter plot, which potentially came from you as an idea, or was it them? Me. Not to brag. Michael's idea. So the idea is you can have two different points and you look at different metrics or different companies. And Y Charts sent us a few ideas here. So they looked at IPOs from this year in the US. 2021 IPOs alone. Not great. Yeah, they plotted the market cap and then the return for this year. Out of almost 300, about two out of every three are down 2021 IPOs. That's pretty opposite from what we saw last. The only really good one here, I guess, is Lucid Group is up like 400%. Some of these other ones I've never heard of. Coinbase obviously is down. Interesting. So they also looked at trillion-dollar companies, and they looked at market cap versus the trailing 12-month net income. And this is one of these deals where sometimes in a scatter plot you can actually find things that make sense. Like there's a standard relationship. You can draw a little line between it and say, hey, this makes sense. This is one where it doesn't really make sense because you have some of these huge companies that have very little in the way of net income. Some of these other companies that have a lot of net income, like Tesla, for example, does not have a lot of income. Apple and Amazon and Microsoft do. Berkshire Hathaway does. I guess we're calling Facebook meta now. Anyway. I'm not. Me neither. If you want to learn how to use these scatter plots like us, go to ytrust.com. Tell them Animal Spirits sent you, and if you sign up for initial subscription, they will give you 20% off. Welcome to Animal Spirits, a show about markets, life, and investing. Join Michael Batnick and Ben Carlson as they talk about what they're reading, writing, and watching. Michael Batnick and Ben Carlson work for Ritholtz Wealth Management. All opinions expressed by Michael and Ben or any podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome to Animal Spirits with Michael and Ben. This was the week where the wheels really fell off of... I guess call it the ARK industrial complex, all of the high beta negative tech earners that were all the rage in 2020. And it's not just this week. These things have been getting smashed for a long time. But this was the week where it seemed like everybody paid attention to it. ARK fell to a 52-week low. I mean, there is- I guess a lot of the stuff- There is blood in the metaverse. The popular growth stocks peaked in February, I guess, or March. It's been a while- what are you, JC Peretz? No, I'm just saying like a lot of these <laughs> companies, they spiked in January and February, and now they've come in and they've had a couple different crashes and they just keep crashing. Well, I guess what's new is that now like they're all crashing. So it was Zoom and Peloton and Zillow, but now it's even getting to the Shopify's and Squares of the world. So Jim Bianco, which we're going to lean on him for a few charts this week, put out some great stuff showing- Bianco, the nice charts. Right? Beautiful charts. Good looking charts here. Beautiful charts showing the S&P 500 equal weight and uh, oh, it's down, what is it down? Four or 5% maybe versus the Morgan Stanley most expensive index. I can't see what this says, but just absolutely slaughtered. Just look at the two lines. It's a crocodile mouth. I guess that's the thing is we talked about this a little bit last week, how market cap can really hide a lot of this stuff, but even the equal weight index is doing fine. It's just literally this one segment of the market that everyone just loved. So Morgan Stanley has this other beautiful chart showing a basket of crowded stocks. They recorded their worst performance on record ever versus the S&P 500 on Friday. So it's not just like, oh, everybody's finally noticing. No, no, no. They were buckling. They were getting killed, but the wheels really fell off on Friday. Bloomberg, and this, I guess, came from Peter Atwater, who was in this Bloomberg piece. They're onto this. They're calling it a Quentin Tarantino market because they say everything's fine in the front room, but then 
downstairs. Someone's got the ball in their mouth and the leather stuff on, and someone's getting killed potentially. Step aside, Butch. <laughs> yeah. yeah, all these stocks are getting... We've talked about a lot of them, but they said they looked at the most crowded names by... I guess Morgan Stanley has this index of the top 50 most crowded stocks based on 13F filings by hedge funds. And then they said that crowded basket and excess basis was down like 11% versus everything else, which is its worst... Brutal. Which is its worst relative performance since even March 2020 saying that this stuff is just getting wrecked. I guess, I mean, a lot of this, people focus on the retail, but this is hedge funds. This is actual, this isn't Well, just- that's what I was going to say. So one last data point, and then we'll get into some editorial, as they say. Liz Ann Saunders said, the basket of the most shorted tech stocks, which is ironically also the most crowded trades on the long side, is down 48%, worse drawdown which is worse than the drawdown earlier this year and worse than the bear market of 2020. Wait, so these bears are actually finally having a little bit of- Finally. Wow. You know what? Good for them. Yes. It's been a minute. Something finally ended badly and they were right. I got a ton of people texting me on Friday. And by ton, I mean three. But still, three is about 100% more than I normally get. It's bringing up the average. Of people screenshotting me, their Alibaba, their portfolio. Literally, what do I do? And I'm like, what, you, what are you asking me for? <laughs> I sold Zillow. I sold Peloton. Don't ask me. So, but it's very interesting that all of the professional investors, not all, but a lot of older professional investors who are wagging their finger at ARK and Kathy Wood and the Wall Street Bets crowd, it's very interesting that it's the hedge funds that are also piling to this. But okay, so now what? So now the wheels came off. They got their comeuppance. You could wag your finger in their face if you want. What do you win? Here's the thing though. What do you get? So obviously like the ARK underperforming eventually was a pretty easy call scene. So I wrote a piece in like the end of December last year talking, I did a history of the hottest funds in history. And ARK was on there. And I actually used some of your book, Big Mistakes, nice little plug for you. You had the piece on Jerry Sign in the 1960s. And I went all the way through all those hot funds. And my point was saying like, eventually they're going to perform. That's pretty easy. I'm not going to pat myself on the back for that. But I was wrong in this context because ARK did peak February or March and it's down 40% since then. The thing is, I, I plotted this on the chart you see here. I plotted their AUM versus their fund performance. And I said, when that happens, all this new hot money is probably going to exit as well. Now, it's been nine or 10 months. And By the way, the chart that you're about to reference is wrong. Why? I forget why. I spoke to Rushi. It's not accurate. Okay. So cut this segment out then? <laughs> well, money is coming out. It's not as clean as what we're looking at. Wait. So you're saying that the drawdown in AUM is not showing why- It's not accurate. Okay. So- Ben, the people that were waiting for Kathy Wood to fall apart, which the fund has, where's their prize? What do they win? Well, they win a market that's only down 3.5%. That's the crazy thing to me is that I think a lot of people said, once this speculative excess is taken out of the market, watch out below because the market's going to get creamed. And here we are. And that, so the market itself is down 3.5% from all-time highs. It's doing just fine. So here's the thing. Everyone has wanted to believe this is 1990s 2.0 for a long time now. And when the excess leaves like it did in early 2000, watch out below and the whole market's going to crash. Is it possible we could see all this excess stuff, the speculative euphoria, all that stuff, get creamed and the market just kind of shrug and say, all right, well, we did. have at it. We did. Because we saw a big growth sell-off in May and the market shrugged it off and went on to new highs. It's possible that this bleeds over into the broader market. Hasn't yet. Here's another interesting chart from Liz Ann Saunders. With volatility has come swift correction and frothy behavior. And sentiment trader, by the way, where has he been? 
Yeah. In our lives. I, I feel like I haven't referenced... Packy McCormick boxed him out for a while for you have attention Hang on a second. You only have one crush. Honestly, did he on block... Podcast. Did he block me? <laughs> I still follow him. Okay. Okay, he did not block... <laughs> the only reason I'm asking is because I haven't mentioned him in a long time. I feel like I haven't seen him tweet in a while. I think it's just because you have crypto blinders on right now. So... <laughs> <laughs> Okay. You just like so woke anyway, up from a blackout and you're like, whoa, Venom Trader, still here. <laughs> He's still doing his thing. All right. So they tweeted, so the dumb money confidence, which is smaller odd lot traders, like the people that were texting me on Friday. By the way, one of the people who texted me on Friday bought ARK. I don't know if I said this on the podcast because this is not in good taste, but I definitely told you this, Ben, that he bought ARK in December and said to me, I literally don't think she could lose money. <laughs> yes. I think you sent it to me that day and you're like, okay, okay. this thing is toppy. That, that's it. <laughs> I mean- Okay. Funny though, I saw him like two or three months later. Actually, it was in the spring when Ark was in its initial drawdown, and he said, "I'm shorting Ark." Okay. <laughs> By the way, that was really bad taste for the short Ark fund, but they nailed the timing. Nailed that, it. Right? Yeah, SR, <laughs> SR, good ticker. That's pretty perfect. Okay, so dumb money confidence has dropped, while smart money, which is large commercial hedgers, has grown. Most confidence since March 2020. So this is an interesting juxtaposition where. Smart money, take that for what it's worth, is getting more confident to where dumb money, I don't like that term, but is blowing out. Which is funny because the dumb money was really smart last year. They looked smart and felt smart probably. There was an article in Vice about, I lost everything on Alibaba call options. Cool. This was a tough read. What was interesting was that GameStop was the tipping point for this person. So they said that they were like dabbling crypto, stocks, whatever, but they really like went all in. When GameStop had that moment, that's when this person got laserized for stocks. They had like 300 grand in an online savings account, and then they went from that to buying options. And it was one single contract. I've used this analogy before. This is your high school friend who never drank in high school and wagged their finger at you. And then they go to college, and the first weekend, they're throwing up in their bed, and they have like three Zemos or something, and they can't handle themselves, and they're hungover for the rest of the semester. That's basically this. This is a good takeaway. And by the way, kudos to this person for writing so honestly. They have a good head on their shoulders. They understand that there are bigger tragedies in life, and they seem to be okay, even though, my God, this has to hurt very, oh. very, very badly. I don't know how you come back from this, honestly. It's tough. It's tough. Mentally? Oh. This, to me, is the lesson. Ben, we had a person email us, what do I do about Alibaba? This was like three weeks ago. And so the problem is, if you don't have some sort of risk management going into these high-growth stocks... You have to have an exit or no exit where you're going to position yourself such that you can live through the inevitable 50, 60% drawdowns because they are inevitable. And potentially put more money in. Like you have to have some sort of game plan. It's got to be one or the other. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just paralyzed. It consumes you. So this person said, I sold and shut down my Robinhood account in October right before my birthday. I decided I don't want to have this hanging over my head. The day I sold it, I was like, you know what? I fucked up. It was a mistake. But clean slate. Dust yourself off and move on. I felt better when I sold, much better actually. And that is probably always the right answer. I think what people are afraid of is that I just rolled this thing down 40%. I can't sell now because now I'm going to make matters worse. I'm going to sell at the bottom. Guess what? You're probably not selling at the bottom. Here's what I thought was the worst part about this. And first of all, this person, they kind of blamed Robinhood, but also took a lot of personal. They said, listen, this is my fault. No one else's. They kind of said Robinhood didn't help. But I think this kind of thing happens with or without Robinhood. But they said, when I lost the money, the thing that I regretted the most were not actually losing the money. I realized I just know their passions at all. For three years now, all I've done is work. I can't think of one weekend when I was just having fun. How stupid is that? So not only did they lose money, but all the money that they piled up from working so much, they stockpiled, they then blew that. So you're also not only wasting money, you're wasting time because all that effort at work is just gone. Oh, your boy Ryan Reynolds is on CNBC. 
What's he talking about? He's an entrepreneur. He has a gin company. He's got a production company. He's the man. By the way. Man, he is a handsome man. We'll talk about Christmas movies at the end for recommendations, but someone really gave me some crap about Just Friends. I'm sorry. If you don't think Just Friends is funny, then we can't be friends. I agree. Speaking of handsome, I've never seen JFK. I started. It's like a three and a half hour movie. I started watching JFK this weekend. Young Kevin Costner. What a stud muffin. He had a fastball, right? Holy cow, that guy was handsome. He still is, as John Dutton, but my God, was he a handsome man. Okay, where are we going? Oh, Ben, can we say that now that all of these young traders have experienced a blow bear market, are they good to go? I am really sick of that, saying like you've never exp- – yes. Now can we stop making fun of them? Okay, they experienced a bear market. Now are they pros? Now are they geniuses? Now can we stop dunking on them? I agree. And now, this is a crazy – I want to talk about this a little bit more when I come to New York to visit you in a couple of days. Can't wait to see you. I'm excited too. But I feel like every – trader investor with any experience now has four or five different paths they could take. We have the 70s here. Well, this is the 70s. And now we have, no, no, no. This is actually the 90s where we're going to have another good decade like we just had in the 80s. And then someone else goes, no, no, no. This is actually 2000. This sounds like a blog post that you're half bait that's in the oven. Just start considering that. We're like every historical analogy right now, that path is there for anyone to take if they want it. Just let that one simmer a little bit. Think about it for Thursday, okay? Okay. My knee-jerk reaction is 1860s, but... All right. All right. We'll put a bit in that. So DocuSign, holy shit. (laughs) You ever see this before? (laughs) What was it down? 40% in one day? So this segment is called Bad Quarter, guys. What happened? (laughs) Admittedly, I did not even get to the earnings report. What (sighs) happened? Is the fax machine making a comeback? Maybe the fact that we complained so much on your interview with Max from Doma about the fact that you can't use DocuSign with refinancing yet. They need to get into refis. That's the problem. By the way, so people may have missed it. Saturday, we released it. We had an extra- That was awesome. What a chat that was. Yeah. Immediate man crush we had on Max. He was a great guy. We got along very well. During the recording, I said to Ben, all right, when we're done recording, we totally got to ask this guy if we can invest. And then <laughs> I typed in Doma Crunchbase. I said, oh shit, they're public. <laughs> yeah, public company. So we can invest. <laughs> we can invest. Yeah. But DocuSign is a company that was already getting slaughtered. And then it fell 40% in a day. Here's a lesson. Two people were asking me about Alibaba. And this is, again, a while ago. It can't go any lower. Oh, yeah? Never say that. Well, here's the thing. Because as much as you think stocks overshot to the upside, yes. they can always go further in one direction or the other than you think. It's a pendulum. Yes, that's the thing. In 2020, and in January and February, when things went absolutely bonkers and the GameStop stuff took off, there were so many stocks that went way far this side. And everyone kind of said, how can this thing be trading at 30 times sales or whatever it is? And at the time, a lot of people were like, well, it can't or... The market just doesn't care anymore. Valuations don't matter, whatever. And now it's going to go the other way. And I don't know. This is the kind of thing. And again, Peloton went from 24 times sales to three. 24 to three. The crazy thing is we're going to have some survivorship bias in five to seven years where 20% of these companies are going to look like amazing purchases. But then the other 80% are probably just going to kind of tread water or not really come close to getting back to those peaks. I'm going to go higher than 20. Okay. You think more than that? And by the way, although when you are saying to yourself, This can't possibly go any lower. That's probably close to a bottom. Do you think yes or no? Yes. But here's the other thing in the back of your mind. The fact that the market is only down 3.5% and these things are down 40, 50, 60%. Don't you go in the back of your mind like, well, what if the market falls down another leg and the market goes down 15%? These things aren't just going to, they're not going to rise. They're going to fall more. You have to have that in the back of your head. Unless it's first out, first in. I guess. That would be my thinking though that when the market falls, most other stocks fall as well. So everything is getting slaughtered. Except for treasury bonds. We'll talk about crypto in a second, but what was that stat you sent me about Top Shot? Oh, they, someone just the- Whatever. 
it's everything. And and good news, commodities. Okay, so commodities are falling. So I have the Bloomberg Commodities Index down 10%. Oil prices are down like 15 to 20%. Do you put any credence into the fact that we can use this as a signal that inflation may be topped, that when commodity prices are falling, that's a sign that inflation is falling as well? Or do you think that there's no correlation there? I bet you there's no good data there. But in this case, I'm going to just hope that the answer is yes. By the way, here's another bet we should make on CalShay. Will the Bloomberg Commodity Index be up or down in six months? Okay, there you go. I say down. You know why I say down? I would almost say down as well. Because I'm a patriot, Ben. You know this. Okay. Documented patriot. I say down. I think this was probably four or five weeks ago. You put in a story here about get ready for higher gas bills this winter because it's coming natural gas prices. Well, (laughs) natural gas futures posted, this is from Bloomberg, posted their biggest November loss in 20 years with prices down 30% from recent highs. This stuff is getting crushed. And they're saying they're blaming it on there's warmer weather than people thought. And so maybe gas bills aren't going to be all-time highs for people. What about gasoline, like car gasoline? I feel like that's coming in too. I think I saw a chart about that. Yeah. So I think gas prices across the country are now mostly going under $3 a barrel. Thanks, You're going to have to go take all your stickers off. Or can it still say, I did that? (laughs) And more good news. And maybe it's a little premature to dunk, but listen, we'll take it. On the supply chain side, bottlenecks appear to be easing. So says this chart from Morning Joe, the number of container ships waiting outside Los Angeles, Long Beach fell considerably in November. Thoughts? I think the Flexport guy tried to debunk it a little on Twitter, but it does seem like it's getting better. Well, all right. Be that as it may, Connor Sen tweeted, getting close to a five-month low for ocean freight rates between Shanghai and Los Angeles. Okay. Did you read the CNBC piece on USA, Amazon? USA. USA. I think we're getting there. Did you read the piece on Amazon and then CNBC? Basically uh, saying I did not. Amazon has beat... Because last week I said, hey, how come I'm getting all my stuff from Amazon? It's coming on time. That's a good thing. We've been saying that. How come Amazon, there's no delays? Okay. So they, they said that... For years, Amazon has been chartering their own private cargo ships. They make their own containers. And instead of going into the LA port, they go to this port in Washington and truck stuff down to LA if they need to. They've already gotten ahead of this. I mean, of course, Bezos was ahead of this. Are we past the point of him being like one of the best business minds of his generation and probably one of the best business minds of all time? What do you mean past? He's not the CEO anymore, as you know, but what do you mean past? Well, I'm saying if instead of just like this current cycle of business people, like historically, he's on the Mount Rushmore. Oh, yeah, yeah. He figures everything out before it has to be figured out. I mean, read the story and you're like, oh, okay, Amazon kind of already figured this out before everyone else. Yes. And everyone else is going to have to fall in line probably. And some of these other big companies are scrambling to do this now. And Bezos already figured it out before everyone else. So before we get into the crypto news that we made last week, Robin, my wife, went to Austin, Texas for the weekend. And Austin, Texas is a crypto hub. And they red pilled her. She texted me. This was on Saturday. Can I get Coinbase? <laughs> so I said, LOL, what? And then she said, to do crypto. And then I said, oh my gosh. So she came home and I was like, what were you asking me about crypto? Because you know, like we're invested and like we made this index, like we're kind of there. And she's like, well, they were just talking about like all this stuff, like the third web and whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, web three? She's like, yeah, that. Like, can we do some of that? Oh, gee. For the record, because I know people are like- Did she hear like people talking at the bars about this stuff? No, it was her friend's husband. I have tried, I want to let the record show repeatedly to include my wife in the finances. And I've got rejected at every turn. We're in a similar boat here. Yeah. It's not like I haven't tried to tell her about whatever. Our talks now are basically just, are we okay? Yes. Okay, good. That's all I want to know. Yeah. I'm not going to say like, Rob, like, what do you think? Is ETH going to flip Bitcoin? (laughs) Right. (sighs) So you're not sharing like your MetaMask. What happens if you die 
Is it going to be like Memento where you're going to have to have it tattooed on yourself somewhere? Your 12 thing for your MetaMask wallet? Like your 12 code words or whatever? <laughs> <laughs> like on your inner thigh? <laughs> Follow this to get your... <laughs> All right. A new movie for Web3 era. We talked a couple weeks ago. I said, you know what? I'm not going to go as deep down the rabbit hole as you. I need to just invest in this stuff passively. And obviously... I made a solution for you. You're welcome. Yes, I think so. But last week, you announced this. this was, we got a bunch of publicity on this, which was nice. And you guys had Jeremy Schwartz. So if people want to listen to the Compounded Friends with you and Jeremy Schwartz and Josh, you get more on the details. What did we announce? That we have a new crypto index that we created with Wisdom RWM, Tree. RWM. Wisdom Tree. Wisdom Tree Crypto Index. Yes. And we worked with OnRamp and Wisdom Tree and Gemini and all Gemini. these different companies. It's interesting, though. Like Even with passive investing and making this an index, I was saying this to you last week. There's still a lot of decisions you have to make. And, and I think even more so in this space than you have to do in stocks. We were batting around ideas in this for months and months. Kind of had an idea and then Wisdom Tree kind of shaped it. It's not easy to come up with an index in this space because of the way that this whole entire space is constructed. Because you have, if you just said, I'm going to take the top 10, you have stable coins and you have Ripple, which is, gee, I don't know, whatever that is. You have all these things. So there's still decisions to Doge. be made here, right? You got Doge? Yes, yeah, so you have meme coins and all this stuff. So And also... Some of the other tokens that we're invested in, in like the DeFi and metaverse space, trying to explain this stuff in plain English, it's not easy. So we have descriptions of these, but you and I both said like... It's the third web. That's all you need to know. But you and I said, let's go through and try to explain this stuff ourselves. And each of these tokens, try to do it in plain English. It's not... Some of them are not easy. You did a commendable job. You did a commendable job. We tried. Read one. Do you want to read one? (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to. Okay. I'll find (laughs) one for later. Here's another thought I had on this whole thing. This, to me, was a pandemic project where I think a post-pandemic work world actually made it easier to put something like this together. So I want to, first of all, kudos to you. You were like the general contractor on this project. (laughs) Like if you're building a house, you need a general contractor to do like the person to do the trim and the paint and the framing. Can I run with an analogy for a second? Let's do it. As we were building this house, I was freaking out because my materials were going up so much in price. (laughs) Yes. I looked at the Slack timestamp this. We started talking about this when Bitcoin was like $41,000. And one of the biggest fears I had in the back of my mind was we are racing against an ETF. Yes. And when the futures ETF was announced, the price almost rose to $70,000. And I was like, my materials, my materials. I was freaking out. Yes. Our biggest nightmare was we're going to roll this out at Bitcoin 75K and we do not want to have our clients invest in this stuff when it's at a huge all-time high. And so the fact that it's come in a little bit was like a sigh of relief for us. I view this as a blessing because buying into a panic, a buying panic would have been awful, would have been just awful. Now, while it's not fun to see that you launch an index, the next day prices crash 20% in our seat, like I'm invested, I don't care, but for our clients, I'm thrilled that they get to invest at lower prices. Yeah, it's good. We were like the guinea pigs on this. We invested, so we're taking part in the losses, but the pandemic stuff. So we're working with, on ramp to have the technology side in this, and Wisdom Tree is helping on the investment side, and the Gemini is the custodian. I feel like if this was five years ago, someone would have said, All right, that's enough. There's too many parties here. Yeah. We're all meeting in New York. Before we get yes. there, we're having everyone in there. But instead, there were calls where we had four, five, eight people from different organizations on, and people could kind of work as they were talking and on Zoom. Like, so I feel like the work from home pandemic stuff actually made it easier to pull off a project like this in a relatively quick amount of time. I had to consider that, but you're 100% right. So let's get into briefly some of the price action that we saw over the weekend. So I woke up on Saturday morning, checked my Masari app, and I see the entire complex down 17%. I'm like, oh, shit. So such a crazy part about this is you wake up in a bear market with right, crypto. But- you go to bed and you wake up. 
and we've spoken about this a billion times that risk is always guaranteed with any asset class returns aren't but especially with stuff like this like i promise you that I was saying to the advisors, like to position sizes, I promise you, you're going to wake up in a 20% bear market overnight. And I didn't think it would happen this quickly. I wrote a piece on this of the weekend and you were kind of go back and forth with me. Like this is where wealth management has to like step in big time, like advisors setting the right expectations for this. This is a like 24-7 markets. No advisor has ever dealt with that before. Like it's not like advisors have been trading Forex or something. This is completely different where a client could say, why am I down 25% on the weekend? It's like, well, that's how crypto works. All right. So it was interesting. Again, Bianca coming in with the killer charts. This was the worst one-day performance. We're clocking midnight to midnight, going back to looks like May or June. And what was interesting was that usually in a bear market, Bitcoin performs better than all of the other coins. And we saw the opposite. Bitcoin fell more than Ethereum. A lot of the DeFi stuff got absolutely annihilated. But that was very interesting. You don't see that. So I don't know if this is like something to be aware of, to make anything out of this, or is this just a one-time thing? But this is definitely different than all the previous sell-offs. It is interesting, especially since a lot of times it's the leverage that cascades these sell-offs and turns them into a waterfall. And there's probably more leverage in the other stuff usually. So yeah, that is So anyway, Ben, what's your price target? <laughs> so all right, Shane Mack, we'll link to this in the show notes, wrote a really good post about wallets. And this was the salient point, talking about crypto wallets, like MetaMask and that sort of stuff. He said, marketing will change too because of this. Today, marketers go after influencers. Tomorrow, they go after owners they find from wallets. And here's what he means. In Web3, everything is public to discover what address owns what. If I was going to launch a new product and wanted everyone who owned a board ape to know about it, I could airdrop them some tokens or NFTs so they would know about our new product or service. The future of marketing is about making people owners right out of the gate versus trying to get them to like or follow something. I read this piece too. You told me to check it out. Do you think that there's a ceiling on the wallet stuff unless they make it way easier to use? Because yeah, I mean, like my parents have all their passwords on their computer on a post-it note. They get a wallet and it's gone immediately. Mario Gabrielli did a piece this weekend about MetaMask, which was excellent. And one of the points that he made was this was built by developers for developers. You have used MetaMask. It is not user-friendly. No, it is not, not intuitive. intuitive at all. So Rainbow is way easier. I don't think I could fund that because I'm in New York. I don't know if I'm wrong or not, but I couldn't link my credit cards to set that up. Anyway, yeah, no, wallets are like definitely not for the layperson. That so, idea of like sending products, that's like having your own email newsletter list of emails already and you have it all like, so you can have targeted marketing basically. That doesn't make sense to me. Hold the price of all of this stuff for a second. Like this is what is so exciting to me. So over the weekend, I have tickets for the Knicks and the Nuggets. They were playing on Saturday at one o'clock. It's a matinee game, usually a light audience. The tickets flex in price. So let's say that my floor for like the Wizards, no offense, maybe that's a bad example because they're actually good, but whatever. Let's use the Wizards. The floor price of my tickets are 115 bucks a seat, whatever it is. So for the Lakers, it could go up to like 290, 300. I don't know the exact number. For this particular game, the face price was $220 a ticket. I was with the boys, as I said, Robin was away Thursday, Friday. So I think I listed the tickets on Thursday. Forgot about them, panicked on Saturday morning, like, oh shit, I got to get rid of these. The step up fees are just hilariously outrageous, like legitimately could be 20, 25%. But here's the thing that really pisses me off. There is a floor to how low you can go on the prices, on the tickets. So my face value was 220. I couldn't list it then below $98 Whoa. on Ticketmaster. This is on Ticketmaster. That was as low as I can go. On StubHub, I needed to upload a PDF. I'm with the boys. I don't have time to upload a PDF. I don't even know how to upload a PDF for my tickets. Anyway, the tickets This is went, the low-hanging fruit. 
come on. I couldn't sell the tickets. I f***ing had to eat 450 bucks or whatever it was. Here's a question for you on sports, not on Web3. What age do your boys have to be before you start bringing them to games? When are you going to start indoctrinating them to become Knicks fans? I don't know. So I think about this because... Six? I started going to games when I was a little boy. I was probably like seven or eight years old. I started indoctrinating my daughter into Michigan football the last few years, and she didn't really care. And then all of a sudden this year, of course, when they're good, she cares. And I don't want to be that obnoxious fan that like brags my team's good. But Michigan, they're in the college football playoffs, and like Michigan fans are going crazy because it's been so long. But my seven-year-old, they played the Big Ten championship game at 8 o'clock. It probably didn't start until like 8.15, 8.30. Our kids are in bed by 8 usually. She asked, hey, can I stay up for the first half? I want to watch the game with you. And she's like into it, watching the football game. And sports are so dumb in the grand scheme of things when you think about it, like, God, why do I care so much about this stuff? But like getting that kind of stuff, like my daughter wanted to watch the game with me, like asking questions, like, why is this? It was unbelievable. I have three of my best friends from college that we barely ever see each other in America because people move to different cities and have families and just it happens. And sports brings you together. For probably the last 10 years, during a Michigan football game, the three of us will text each other exclusively about the game. Outside of the game, we never text each other. We don't ask each other about family. The only thing we talk is sports. I mean, it's the same thing like with my dad. That's our conversation thing to keep things. Anyway, I mean, I'm sure you have this with your dad and the Knicks and stuff. Of course. Of course I do. Of course I do. I was looking through old photos yesterday. My dad brought over a box of old photos, which was incredibly nostalgic to do. And one of the pictures that I happened to pull out was a 15-year-old Michael, hair and everything. And I'm sitting at my desk in my bedroom and I've got like posters of from Slam Magazine all over my wall and books just – I'll throw this picture up so you can see it – just scattered everywhere. And one of the things that I have that is very like on brand for me 20 years later was a VHS tape of The Relic with Tom Sizemore. <laughs> wow. Nice. I love my like movies museum, when I was 15. Right? Love them. It was the American Museum of Natural History in Chicago. Okay, interesting. Love that movie. All right, that's a good one. Anyway, oh, this is interesting. I didn't have time to read this. Grayscale did their investor survey. And at first, I'm like, this is such bullshit. But then I'm like, well, I might be able to buy this. They said that one in four Americans with over $10,000 in investable assets reported and owning Bitcoin in some form. And now that I say that out loud, there's no way that's true. <laughs> Because the percentage of people that have more than $10,000, I'm going to guess half of them are over 50. Oh, that's true. Good point. And so just based on that alone, there's no way that this is true. I would say that one in four young investors- I bet if you one in, under the age of 50. Under the age of 50, I bet one in two. I bet it's like very high. Yeah, that's good. We haven't debunked a good survey in a while. It has been a minute. All right. Barron's had a piece this weekend that they think the housing boom could last- for a decade. And they're talking about housing stocks. But there was a few interesting tips. We talked about this last week a little bit. They basically said, so construction starts on new single family housing is finally going to top 1 million this year after being like $750,000 a year for the previous 10 years. That's still way below like 1.6 million annual housing starts from 2004 to 2006, which is the bubble. But they're saying to actually meet the supply constraints we have with housing in this country, we would need 2 million housing starts a year for a decade. To get there. Are you doubling down on your housing prices are too low take? Possibly. But yes, it's just the whole thing is not even like a demand thing. It's totally a supply thing. I don't think that it's even that demand is like crazy and people are going nuts for houses. I just think there really aren't enough houses. Housing supply is even more constrained than Bitcoin supply, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
that's my whole thesis is that there just aren't enough houses and that the scars from the last bubble, the hangover from that, just wrecked the housing industry, unfortunately. All right. Listener question here? We've got time. Let's bang through a few of these. All right. Let's take them in order. My good friend and his dad recently made a significant investment to a company that claims to be a, quote, unique private bank. Oh, boy. And offers a guaranteed return on their investment using crypto and other strategic investments. Oh, man. You know what I just did? You know that Antonio Banderas gif where he's like, (laughs) he and his dad are now, oh, God, affiliate marketers. Now I'm doing the soccer coach. Red flag, red flag, red flag. (laughs) Affiliate marketers for this company. And it pains me to see his family get sucked into an obvious pyramid scheme that will eventually scam them out of money. Do you guys have any advice on how to make them realize they're making a terrible financial decision before it's too late? Yes, I do. There's a little book called Don't Fall For It by an author named Ben Carlson. Speaking of that, we got a hilarious email yesterday. This literally made me laugh out loud. Somebody said to us, Here's the subject. Is Ben Mulaney as an NFL kicker? Did you see this? No. <laughs> hey, guys. Love the show and forgot to send this in last week. By the way, this is another example of sports bringing people together. Okay. Hey, guys. Love the show and forgot to send this in last week after I saw it. This came up on Yahoo Fantasy Football on the page for Greg Zerline after another guy named Carlson went bananas for Las Vegas last week. Gave me a good laugh. Keep up the good work. Somebody wrote, oh, my God. Why did I play this turnover Ben Carlson? Loser. <laughs> Oh, then someone said it's really Dan Carlson. Somebody said, same. Why do you have two kickers? And then somebody wrote, it's Dan Carlson. <laughs> Face palm. All right. That makes sense. So anyway, it's really difficult to convince. Oh, what's that line? It's easier to scam somebody than to convince them that they've been scammed. I think it's basically impossible. If someone who's in it and they've been promised that if you just bring in 10 more people and then if they bring in 10 more people, it sounds so like- the- Oh, Mark Twain. Allegedly, whatever. The allure of that is just... It's easier to fool people than to convince them that they've been fooled. That's a Mark Twain nugget. Especially if they're already in it. It's not like they're just considering it. I don't think that you're going... Anything you say is... There's nothing you can do, basically. Unfortunately, there's nothing you can do. You could try, but it's like you feel powerless. It feels like you're watching a slow motion train wreck. Yeah. I don't think that's... Unfortunately, they're tough. Yeah. Tough situation. Hi, Michael and Ben. I am trying to move to an upgraded home in the next five years. In order to do that, I think I need more than just the equity and hopefully increase value of my current home. Are there any strategies you would suggest outside of just putting money into a savings account to be ready for the purchase? We're still putting these in the dock? I guess. Well, in the next five years, I don't even know at this point. At, at a certain point, I mean, I guess if my housing thesis is correct, you may have to change your expectations for what your next house is going to be. The trade-up, depending on how much your house goes up in value. Listen to the episode that we did with Life Goals. We spoke all about this. This is an unenviable situation that unfortunately so many people are living with and Ben seems to think it's not an issue. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> Last one. One more. I love your show. And since I heard all about Michael's refi horror story, I figured I'd share mine. Oh, again, check out Doma. Great episode. We bought a house in December 2019 with an adjustable jumbo loan of 3.5%. It was the best deal we could find at the time. A few weeks ago, Credit Karm advertised by Ally, powered by Better.com to me. Oh, did you see that video of the Better.com CEO laying off 15% of the workforce? Oh, wait. This guy laid off 15% of his staff on Zoom? On Zoom. It was cringe. It was really bad. Okay. After filling out a simple application online, the next day they offered us a fixed 30-year at 2.75. They gave us a choice to either take some money out of the property or just refi the existing job alone. We did the latter. The entire process took only three weeks with 99% of it seamlessly done online. 
On the final day, we had a notary come to our house to sign a few papers, which took only 15 minutes. Not once did I have to explain my credit card bills or what I spent my money on, as Michael unfortunately did. If this isn't a clear sign that fintechs is the future, I don't know what is. Oh, interesting. I thought this was going to go the other way. This was good. Okay, so this is so good. So they're saying fintech solved the problem a little bit. We did one of ours with Ally too, and they did send a notary to the house to take care of it, which made it easy. So I guess this is short your brick and mortar bank, basically. Fintech is going to save the day. By the way, I thought one of the best parts about our DOMA talk was the fact that you have assumed all these years that blockchain is going to fix title insurance. And he said, no, 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 blockchain is not really going to fix it. That's not the problem. That threw me for a loop. When he said that, I was like, what? What? All right, let's get to recommendations. I have a bone to pick. Okay. I can't explain this to you. Everyone's got like weird holes in their life. And one of mine is the Bourne series. I saw the Bourne identity in theaters when I was 17 years old, and I remember loving it. It's a great movie. Speaking of which, Matt Damon, is he the best actor of all time? Oh, that's absurd. Is he the most prolific actor of our generation? He's got to be pretty close between him and Leo. No, no, no. Leo's done like a dozen oh, movies. Oh, you're saying prolific. Okay. Matt Damon has been in more good movies than any other actor. I guess maybe like TC is up there. His batting average is pretty high. But what a guy. All right. Anyway, The Born Identity. Saw it, loved it. And for reasons that I can't explain, I never saw Ultimatum or Supremacy. And then they made another one after that, right? Right. Here's the bone that I have to pick. So this weekend, as I explained already, Robin was away. So on Saturday night, I fired up The Born Supremacy. Is that the sequel? I think so. Ultimatum is maybe the third one. Okay. So on HBO Max, they have The Born Trilogy. They have The Born Identity, The Born Supremacy, and The Born Ultimatum, which is the Jeremy Renner one. Oh, really? They skipped the third one. <laughs> no wonder why the stock sucks. That's Listen, true. It does. I saw that the other day. It even has its own little thing, The Born Trilogy, it says. I mean, I've got a legit gripe. Put the third one up. Get the Jeremy Renner one out of there. Was that one good? They're paying too much on that AT&T dividend still. If they can't the avoid the other born one. ultimatum. I think ultimatum was the runner one. Oh no, this is the last one. Anyway, I'm pissed. I'm pissed. Rightfully so. Okay. Here's a question. Is Paul Thomas Anderson overrated? <laughs> okay. What else does he have besides Boogie Nights? There will be blood. Okay. And Magnolia, which I've never seen. Okay, Magnolia is pretty good. I feel like There Will Be Blood is a movie you see once and once only. It's not a rewatchable movie. I've seen it twice, but I agree. Okay, Hard Eight, which was Paul Thomas Anderson's first movie, which I spoke about a year ago. Very much enjoyed that one. However, all right, so he's obviously got these classics. Boogie Nights, one of my favorites ever. You ever watch The Master? I didn't see that one. Turned it off after 15 minutes. So he's like obviously like a filmmaker. You know what? Not a filmmaker guy. There, I said it. Because I watched Punch Rock Love over the weekend on Friday night. It's a depressing movie, isn't it? Not for me. I didn't like it either. Whatever. Like, I don't even know what to say. Was it like well-crafted? Was the music and the blah, 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 blah? Like, all right. It's He's stunk. a film's critic director. How about that? He really is. So anyway, I'm just throwing it out there. Maybe Paul Thomas Anderson is overrated. All right. That's a good take. So I asked last week, just because I love watching Christmas movies around the holidays. I don't know why. I'm mad at you, I'm by the way. I'm sentimental. Why? You should have let the audience know to not send us Elf as okay, a recommendation. I know. Well, you should have been there with me and said it. So we totally missed on Elf. The other ones we missed, so Love Actually, people said. Someone else had The Ref, which is actually good with Dennis Leary. We didn't miss. But that's from you the 90s. You came with this. You came with this. We got like 24 Our people telling us to watch Elf. Like I haven't seen Elf a dozen times. Here's one that I got, though, that I didn't expect. There was a lot of votes for Four Christmases with Vince Vaughn and Reese Witherspoon. And I remember watching when it came on a video, and it was kind of forgetful. So my wife and I, it's on HBO Max. My wife and I watched it this weekend. 
That was a good call by people. It's a funny movie. What's it called? Four Christmases. Vince Vaughn? It's a little bit like, you know the horse meme where the back of the horse is drawn really beautifully and then the front of the horse is like a bad pencil drawing? It's a little bit like that where the okay. humor is front-loaded, but I enjoyed it. I remember it being forgetful. So Robert Duvall plays his dad, and I've never seen him in a comedy before. Maybe he's been in one back in the day. It's really good. It's a dumb, over-the-top plot kind of thing. If you're a nitpicky person, don't watch it, but I liked it. Who's going to nitpick a Christmas movie? Can I say one more thing? Yes. On Saturday, Robin's sister was with us. I was in my office, and I heard a very familial jingle. It was the Home Alone music. And I haven't seen Home Alone in 20 years. Okay. We watch it every single year now. Okay. But that's John Williams, the guy that did like Star Wars and Superman and Indiana Jones and every- That song basically very noticeable, yes. So like literally, I'm at my computer typing whatever. I was like, what's that? I was also kind of sad. I was like, that's my movie to watch with him. What's oh, happening? Right. So then at night, we were in bed and he goes, Daddy, can we watch Home Alone again? He's four. It was like the sweetest thing ever. Very watchable. All right. I was wavering on Succession last week. Did you watch this week's or not? No, I'm two weeks behind and I'm not happy about it. All right. Sorry. I was wavering. All-timer episode last night. I am all in. I was like, oh, God, this show is kind of like dragging. Nothing's happening. So my favorite three episodes of all time, one, Tom's Bachelor Party. Just hilarious. <laughs> Two, I think my second favorite one is probably last year's season finale when they're on the yacht and they're traveling all over the place. I like the travel ones. This one, they go to Tuscany. They're in Milan. This episode, my wife and I were still talking about the episode this morning. It was so good and I'm so back. And I can't believe this wasn't the season finale. So much happened. I'm not going to spoil anything. How are you ever anything. gone? How are you ever gone? I wasn't. Remember I said I like it. I don't love it. Last night's episode all-timer, and there was a moment at the end, and right when you see it, you're going to slack me, and you are going to lose it. I'm not going to spoil anything, but there is one moment on this show. Chris spoke to me this morning. He said, did you watch Succession? No. All right. Just text me when you see the scene. You'll know it. But there's four or five scenes where afterwards, my wife and I both go, oh my God, I can't believe they went there. It is so good. And then finally, one more. I watched the first episode of the Beatles doc on Disney+, and it doesn't even feel like a documentary. It feels like a movie that they made to look like a documentary. Like, it's so... My theory has always been nothing's properly rated because of the internet. Maybe The Rock. The Beatles are properly rated. Every once in a while, someone on Twitter will be like, the Beatles are overrated. Take. I hate that No take. one really believes that. But my parents were never like big pop culture people. That's probably because they couldn't re-show us a lot of movies or TV shows. But the only thing my dad like hammered home into us, besides being Michigan football fans, is you're going to like The Beatles. And... <laughs> That's a band that still to this day, you look back at this stuff, that documentary is so good, isn't it? Did you start watching it? I saw probably two hours or so. I can't believe that they're just in this huge, big space. and It's surreal. It is surreal. It's surreal to watch. Yeah, that's the best way to describe it. All right, Ben, listen, I will see you on Thursday for the Compound and Friends episode. I will be in New York, yes. And we're going to go see a comedy show. So I'm asking, speaking of the Beatles, with peace and love, I'm asking fans that see us in public, please... <laughs> Give us some space for people too. <laughs> Don't try to steal Michael's MetaMask wallet. <laughs> AnimalSpiritsPod at gmail.com. <laughs>